It is 7.45 on a Saturday morning. Time for our wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hi, Denny. How are you today? I am doing quite well, and I hope you are too. In spite of the, uh, I don't know if you have allergies like some folks I know, but uh, with the smoke and the ragweed, wow. It is a problem. The only good news is I'm not in Naples with all that red tide down there. I guess that's a horrible problem. Oh, too. yes. I've read about that and heard about yeah. that. What, what do you want to chat about today? You know, today I thought we would chat a little bit about a very common substance, but very essential to winemaking, and that's cork. You know, cork is the closure on about 72% of all the wine that's made is closed with cork. And what about cork? Well, cork is a sustainable natural resource. It comes from the cork oak tree. Actually, it's oak bark, uh, not oaks as we know them, but the cork oak uh, that they make the corks out of. And it's a very interesting procedure. And there's a kind of interesting historically, you know, the Romans knew about aging wine and they aged wine in amphora where they big clay pots where they would float oil on the top. The oil would become an effective closure for any air to get into the wine. And the clay pots like uh, amphora are a little like our clay flower pots. That clay allows a little air to come in and out. And by doing this, the Romans had wines that were 70, 80, even 100 years old for uh, Roman um, parties and things like that. But that was all lost in the Dark Ages, and wine had to be drunk the year it's made. Uh, and when they did close wine, they did it with a piece of stick or a cloth that had been dipped in oil. Well, you can just imagine how awful that would be getting uh, a bottle of wine that were pulling out a oily rag off the top of the thing. So in about the early 1700s, when glass became a little more popular and less expensive, they figured a way to close them with these cork trees. And uh, most of the cork today comes for wine corks. Over 65% comes from Portugal. The, the uh, Portuguese have about... 40% of the oak trees, and people would argue that the best uh, oak trees for uh, wine uh, cork uh, production are come from Portugal. There are a lot in Spain. Spain has about 30% of the world's cork trees, and then the rest is split up between Algeria, Tunisia, Italy, and France. But Portugal is the real, real best place. And you know, pork uh, or cork gets a, a bad rap because of a corked wine. And there was a problem in the old early 2000s uh, when indeed probably 10% of the wine that was sealed with cork was being tainted by the cork. But since 2016, the cork producers in Portugal have eliminated the problem of tainting with uh, the bath they give uh, the cork. And production of cork is kind of interesting. These cork trees have to be 25 years old before they can harvest the first uh, batch of cork. And then they have these guys that go out there and actually peel the cork off the tree. And unlike our oak trees, if you peel the bark off it, which the cork really is, just the bark of the oak tree, uh, you could kill the oak tree. But over there, 
they thrive on that. And about every nine years, so it's a slow process, you can reharvest the same tree. And the trees live to be two, even 300 years old. So, but you only get a harvest every nine years. But they're very good at managing that throughout Portugal. And the cork trees probably grow where they couldn't grow much of anything else. They like a very dry climate and lots of sun, and they sure get that in Portugal. It's fascinating to go there and watch them harvest the cork tree. And the trees continue and grow and flourish. So it's a very sustainable thing. But meanwhile, uh, putting these corks in, people were once again able to age wine. They weren't able to age it when they were stuffing uh, cloth that had been dipped in oil or put it in a barrel because, you know, barrels breathe, but as you empty the barrel out, you expose more air on the inside, and the wine would go bad. So the wines have to be drunk the year they were made, and uh, you couldn't age them. So uh, reintroducing cork in inexpensive bottles enables the various uh, wine producers to age the wine. And then a a big thing came about in uh, France in the 1900s. Wine used to be shipped and then bottled in London or bottled in the United States, something like that. And it was actually Philippe Rothschild who decided too much of his wine, which was Mouton Rothschild at the time, was being counterfeited in England because the English would order a couple of hogshead of wine, and then they'd order a bunch of different labels, and they'd bottle that same wine with different labels. It wasn't very ethical, but they made a lot of money doing it. So uh, Philip Rothschild decided he would brand his corks and bottle everything right at the Chateau. And that didn't occur until uh, the 30s. So it's a relatively new thing, and today... You know, as I've mentioned before, when you go into a restaurant and the waiter gives you a cork, what are you supposed to do with the cork? Smell it, chew it, throw it over your shoulders? Actually, the only reason you're given the cork is not to smell it, but to look at the cork itself and see if it has the date and the name of the wine on it. All fine wines, real expensive wines, will have the name of the property and the date on the cork, and thus your insurance that the authenticity of the wine you're about to drink is really what you want and like i said most people don't really know that and believe me a wine would have to be badly badly tainted for you to be able to pick that up from just a whiff of the cork as i say that the sustainable resource of corks and watching the process in portugal is absolutely fascinating these peelers or extractors go right around with an axe and peel off the cork. And cork, of course, has lots of different uses. Uh, wine corks are, are a big part of that because, you know, they, as I said, they send millions and millions of corks, billions, actually, around the world every year. But when they peel that cork off, the older cork trees and the better cork trees yield the best corks. And those are longer corks, and those are the kind you get on generally expensive wines. However... They don't waste anything. And for example, next time you open a bottle of champagne, look at the cork. When it pops, it's sort of a mushroom shape. Initially, when that goes into a champagne bottle, it is a cylinder, total little cylindrical cork. And the cork is a composite because the cork goes several different ways. It'll go up, 
and then sideways and then up again. And you can see that strata when you look at the mushroom cork on a bottle of champagne. But those corks are pretty big and they're compressed and then wired down to the champagne bottle to hold the sparkle into the bottle. So it's a fairly elaborate procedure to cork up a bottle of champagne with all those uh, pressures. And uh, the cork, you know, that we buy for insulation and things like that, it's a wonderful material because it's fireproof, great insular properties, and, of course, uh, lets a little air in, and thus we use the best corks are used uh, and best cork trees are used to uh, make closures for wine, the wine corks. And the other corks, you know, composite for shoes and insulation and things like that. And you can buy composite corks as well. You know, one of the problems is there's so many different ways of closing wine. And synthetic corks are probably my least favorite of all. Number one, they're very hard to open and get out. And number two, that synthetic plastic cork probably has a time life of eons because uh, it's just all plastic and it lasts forever. Um, what do you do with that? And like I say, it doesn't enhance the value of the wine, in my opinion, or the flavor of the wine at all. Synthetic corks, I don't like them. Screw caps have a place. And like I say, they came about mainly because of all the cork taint. And the folks in New Zealand were the biggest in pushing screw caps. And it's become a wonderful method of closure, particularly for modest price wines. And, of course, the Kiwis in New Zealand would say a terrible thing for me to say because they have some wines that are $100 a bottle that are cork-sealed. And I don't disagree with that, but I do think the best way to store wine is with real cork, and, and that means this cork from Portugal. And, and what makes it so good is the elasticity of the cork and it's almost impenetrable. But believe it or not, you know, a little bit of air can get through that cork. You wouldn't think so, because we certainly couldn't breathe if you were corked up. But it, it does allow enough air in there for the wines to age, and age rather nicely. Uh, as soon as cork stoppers became popular and uh, Chateau bottling became popular, you know, the corks took off. And like I said, through a lot of research, in the last 12 years, uh, the Portuguese cork producers have eliminated cork taint. And uh, like I said, it's just an awful thing, and it did infect a lot of wine, and that's the reason for so many closures today uh, that are totally different. But I think there'll always be a place for cork closures to wine. I think there's nothing like the pop of a, a, a cork coming out of a bottle it pleases all the senses. You hear that pop and you think, ah, we're going to have some good wine. And then your taste buds perk up. But uh, cork is a, a really a remarkable thing. And the, today there's so many new packages of wine. Maybe my conversation this morning will be outdated in a couple of years. Big thing today is cans. And I personally don't particularly like canned wines. I think they have a funny taste to them uh, that I taste in all canned wines. And maybe it's just me and maybe it's being snobbish. I don't know, but I'm I'm just not a big fan of canned wine. But nonetheless, they have a place in the marketplace and they are coming up like mushrooms after a rainstorm. Everybody is getting into the canned wine business. Oh, <laughs> and these new packages, of course, are, are worth thinking about, you know, because cans are easy to recycle and sure. do that kind of thing. But uh, 
give me a real good bottle of wine that has a nice Portuguese cork in it, and I'm a happy camper. And I know exactly where to find it, any Haskell's locations. Indeed. The folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine. They love to pair wines with food, and they're very good at that. So if you're going to pick something special, whether it's a barbecue or a picnic or a fancy birthday party, stop and see the folks at Haskell's. Tell them what you're going to fix, how you're going to fix it, and they'll put you in touch with a wine that will not break the bank, and you'll be very happy with it. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. Haskell's in Bloomington, Shanhassen. There's a Haskell's in downtown Excelsior right on Lake Minnetonka. Haskell's in Fairboat right off of 35. Our super seller up in Maple Grove is not to be missed. Downtown Minneapolis has free parking on Saturday and Sunday. And also in Minneapolis, our wine bar on Nicollet Mall is a great place to stop in for a glass of wine on a hot day. There's a Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com.